Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. I have to tell you something, people. The other night, I went to a concert, and it was not what I expected at all. My old neighbor in Burbank and my friend Dave Pino plays guitar for Andrew W.K. Now, if you're not familiar, Andrew W.K. is this motivational speaker type guy, head-banging, long hair, big arm muscle dude. And I know going into the show, I'm probably going to be the, one of the oldest people in the crowd, and I'm fine with that. But it's comp tickets. I'm not, I'm not going to complain. I thought the crowd would be basically long-haired dudes, metal dudes. I could not have been more surprised. It was a bunch of guys that looked like they were going to a baseball game. 25 to 35-year-old white guys. Baseball hats, cargo shorts, nicely combed hair. And it blew my mind. And the funny thing is, you know, they were body surfing and they were pumping their fists. But they were so damn polite. I found like one of the only chairs because it was a mostly standing only venue. I found one of the only chairs and this kid is signaling to me. And I'm thinking, what does he want? He's like 21. He's got spiky black hair. He's got a white t-shirt. And he comes over to me and says, am I blocking your view? It blew my mind. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a gentleman who I would say is a national headlining comic, but he's actually an international headlining comic. Very funny guy, big hockey fan. And my guest is Ian Bagg. How you doing, Ian? Good, bud. How are you doing? Good. Hey, now, have you ever gone to a concert or like a sporting event where the fan is the fan base is not at all what you thought? Um. Yeah, I remember actually going to a game in Philadelphia, and um, the guys that were in front of me were wearing jerseys with turtlenecks, <laughs> and I thought that was very interesting. I did not expect that at all. That's, I thought they were going to be a little tougher, little tougher than turtlenecks. Yeah, because I, I, li- I live ten minutes from Philadelphia, and that, that and you know I'm embarrassed when I hear that because I'm like, what the hell is going on? We should not be wearing turtlenecks at hockey games. And there, one was wearing a one was wearing a home jersey with a white turtleneck, and the other one was wearing a away jersey with a black turtleneck. It was very interesting. <laughs> so so you, you know, so you're a big. I thought I thought I thought it, I thought it, I thought it would be. Honest to God, I thought it'd be guys with, you know, uh, cut-off muscle shirts just hanging out and yelling and, and fighting. You're, so, cause, you're, yeah. a big, you're a big hockey fan. Now, take? I see some people bitching about the Golden Knights doing it for the first year because of the expansion. What is your take? And you're from Canada, so, you know, hockey's in your blood. What is your, what is your take on the whole Las Vegas Knights thing? Are, are you happy, or are you saying, screw this, it's their first year, they shouldn't be even be making it? Well, it, uh, to be honest with you, it, it, it's their first year, they shouldn't be making it, but they shouldn't be a team that's, uh, uh, you know, any expansion team, no matter what sport it is, shouldn't be left out to hang. It should be uh, there to create a buzz amongst the city and excitement. And if you just leave them there to lose every game, which most expansion teams in every sport are, I think it's a waste. And you're putting your, your you know, the guys are paying $500 million to get into the league. Why shouldn't they be competitive their first season? Sure. You know, uh, do, I, do I expect every team to go to, the, go to the Stanley Cup playoffs their first season in? No, not at all. This is, this is, this is a little insane. And it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, um, luck it's a little bit momentum and it's a little bit um uh, 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 the guys that were left to create the team were annoyed and were screwed over by the teams they were let go by uh like you know like like uh, like uh gallant was screwed hard by 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 Florida, there's no way he should have been fired. He was an amazing coach that brought a team uh, of misfits together to actually make it to the playoffs. And and the, the general manager McPhee was was you know he was trying to create something in uh, D.C. and he did create what's there is mostly his, but he was held back and was kind of left out to the wolves. So you start with that base of hey let's do this and let's let's get back at some people and then you start creating that with the players and the players that were let go i think it says a lot about the league and and um the coaching and the the the, the scouting that's going on in the league is 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 you know i, I don't know if i'm allowed to swear on this yeah, but yeah. It's, it's kind of bullshit you know it's 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 these guys weren't able to fit into our system, so they were no good to us, and they were sent away to play in, in, in you know, this, this uh, 
league and this team that's showing up in the desert where, where, you know, whereas you're, you're telling me that these guys, you know, that are scoring 40 goals now that scored seven goals last year weren't that talented last year. No, you were saying your system is the only way to play instead of letting your, uh, your system be added into by these other players. So I think the NHL created it by letting, um, letting them draft very well, letting them, giving them a chance. I think the rest of the NHL created it by just throwing guys away. Now, that actually have a lot of talent. And I agree, and it's been amazing. You know, I'm, I'm a Flyers fan. I knew we were going to be out because, once again, we don't have a goalie. And I'm excited about Las Vegas because right. I know a lot of guys out there. And, and it's a city that they just they buy into it. You see the pregame show, and it's like it's like a theatrical event where they stab well, a guy. That's, and it's, that's, that's the other thing. That's the, you know, it, 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 They make it an event. It, it's Vegas. They, they're competing with 80 other shows that are world-class, right, every night. So they have to be the best that's, uh, uh, of entertainment that's out there for them. So I, I, But the, the quality of the team, I just I think, I, I don't know what, 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 how you feel about it. I think they kind of lucked out a lot with people being thrown away. But they started with what the flurry from Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh had no choice. They had to make a choice, you know. Exactly. I mean, the guy's got three cups now. So now you're you're from Canada. Who was your hockey team growing yep. up? But still, uh, uh, well, of course, the Vancouver Canucks. But I grew up uh, in a little town, uh, and Jim and Joe Watson were from there, and they played for the Philadelphia Flyers during the Broad Street Bully days. And uh, the Flyers are actually quite uh, our team in, in our area. Oh, that's awesome. I remember them. I, mean, I watched. That's yeah. what got me into hockey, watching them. So you grew up in a small town. When did you start getting attracted to comedy? Because I'm trying to think, you know, there wasn't a lot of stand-up in, uh, in, in Canada, was there? Uh, well, there, there was no stand-up in Canada. I remember being 18 and wanting to get into stand-up and being from the small town and nobody came out of there that went into entertainment. And I couldn't figure out... Because... Because I didn't want to go to college, and, and, and you didn't, you, where I grew up, you didn't, the guys that went to college became teachers, they became, you know, uh, you know the more blue-collar, uh, but it, it, college wasn't thought of as someplace to go to learn, enter, you know, how to be, be, be in, in entertainment, you know, so I didn't, I didn't understand, I was really quite lost where I grew up, and um, some guy just said to me, you just start on an open mic, he just happened to be in town, playing in a band and I asked him about I told him I wanted to be a stand up comedian and he's like, Well you just gotta move to Vancouver and go on an open mic So that's how I actually actually ended up doing it. What so, made you want to be a stand up comic? What caught your what caught, got that idea at such a young age at eighteen? Uh when, when I was a kid when I was younger than that, um when I was a kid I, my parents used to have Jonathan Winters albums and also um I'm trying to think of his name, Dave uh, Dave, he was, he's, he's, he sat in, he sat in a chair and he smoked cigarettes and he was an Irish guy and he talked about the church. Do you know who I'm talking about? I'm not sure. Uh, uh, he's, he's hilarious. He, he, so he, he, he would just tell these stories about growing up Catholic and I grew up Catholic and, and calling out the church and he was from Ireland and he was just on British TV and my mom was Australian and being in Canada, we were, had a huge British influence. So I used to listen to him, and it just used to make me laugh. And I, somehow I figured out I could make people laugh. And um, it just kept growing from there. And when I was about, I don't know, about 15, 16, uh, that's when Eddie Murphy, you know, Eddie Murphy came out and, and uh, John, uh, Sam Kinison. Uh, I, I started getting those tapes because it was still back then. It was tapes, <laughs> and we all passed it around, burned it, and listened to it. And I just like, oh, this is I love the fact that they could draw a picture with words. I love that I could see what they were talking about, even though it may have been, you know, it may have been my version of what they were talking about, but I love the, the painting of the picture with words. So, so you're 18 and you go to Vancouver and now how is it to get stage time out there? Uh, well, I'm 18. That's not what happens. I'm 18. I end up in Australia uh, I tour around Australia, come back. Uh, I, I was, I didn't start until I was about 22, 23. Um, I actually worked in a gold mine for a while. And, uh, one day I just, I, 
made all this money working a gold mine and I just said to my dad I'm I'm moving I told everybody else that I was moving to Vancouver to follow um I was going to become a engineer in blasting explosives uh but I actually was moving to Vancouver to try open mics and I moved down there and the first time I did an open mic it was like heroin I was addicted immediately so you're sitting there you're kicking around now was was yuck yucks prominent back then or was, did they open a little later uh, Yuck Yucks was there, and it was also um, they were, but they were more of an East Coast thing. Um, it was it was Punchlines. It was in Gastown was the first time I ever went on stage. It was called Punchlines, and it was uh, on the second floor. A guy named Rich Elwood owned it and taught me a lot about club owners. Then he was just a douche that uh, <laughs> that uh, he he wanted to be a comedian, but he wasn't funny, and he just didn't like anybody becoming funnier than him and he just he had every opportunity because he was in a small town that that uh you know had a little bit of entertainment going on so if they thought if, if somebody came to town they thought they needed somebody funny he got the gig because he owned the place type of thing and he was still unable to become uh you know successful so but it was it was uh it was great the comics i started out with were bonnie mcfarland uh, a guy named craig campbell peter calamus um uh, tom state who's huge in europe now um, it, it, it was a fun bunch of guys, and I learned a lot. So I, I'm glad I started out there. So you started out there because I, I, when I did stand up, I started in Philly, which we had a great, a great uh, bunch of comics. We had a lot of clubs back then. This is in the late '80s, early '90s, but it was great. Mm-hmm. It's always good to work with people. I think you know we're very encouraging back then because I don't think like now there's like eighty thousand comics back then in Philadelphia. We had like. 30 people to open mic. I'm sure it, it, in Vancouver, it was probably not nearly as many. You know what? It was It was as many, but the guys that were shit were told they were shit. <laughs> and nowadays, nowadays, the guys that are shit seem to just continue on. It's, I, I, I cannot believe how many bad stand-up, how much bad stand-up I see. I, There's somehow along the way people have figured out there is money involved in stand-up and there is a formula that you can create comedy with that nobody gets offended and nobody gets hurt by and uh, that that comedy usually uh, is kind of financially lucrative but the guys that are um, the guys that are really good that I just respect over the moon are guys that screw up every once in a while that bomb every once in a while that uh, try new things, that have to go on the road, that have to, you know, that don't, that, course, of course, we all want financial success, but that's not why they do it. They do it because they, they, they are chasing the dragon of the first time they went on stage and are just, uh, you know, just funny, funny people. Now, when you're in Canada and you're performing, when did you decide you had to make a break to advance your career? Uh, there was, I was probably six months into doing stand-up and I, I kind of, I was already starting to get guest spots on shows on the weekend and this guy came to town and his name was Pat Bullard. He's uh, originally from Toronto. He was in Vancouver. He actually had his own talk show for a while. He hosted, um, um, uh, uh, Love Connection. He was the second host of okay. the Love Connection. He he was he wrote for Roseanne. He wrote for uh, I think um, um, a ton of shows. He was very successful, I and mean, he still he still is. I think he produces stuff still to this day. And he came up to me and he said, uh, "You're really funny, but can I can you do me a favor?" And I said, "What's that?" He said, "Can you put all your effort into getting out of Canada immediately?" And I didn't understand. I didn't. I said sure, but I didn't understand why. And I was. I had no. You know. I just wanted. To, I wanted to be a stand-up, and I didn't understand any. I still don't understand any of the business. But I didn't understand any of the business at that time. I just. You know. I was getting on stage, and it was. It was. It was awesome. I was working a, a day job every so. You know. I was just like working in a warehouse and a day job, and getting on stage at night, and it felt like success. But it, he told me you got to get out of Canada. I was like, okay. And then I continued on, not realizing what he meant. And about a year and a half later, um, I was in Montreal, and a guy named Lucian Hold seen me, who Lucian was one of the owners of the comic strip in New York. And he said, hey, if you come down to New York, I'll put you on stage. 
And I was like, okay. And um, I was dating a girl in Vancouver. We broke up. I had a gig in Montreal that paid me $700 Canadian. So I probably had $600 Canadian in my pocket. And I said, you know what? I'm moving to New York. So I took everything I had, which was my backpack, and I got on a train and headed off to New York. And I didn't know anybody except for Lucian. And I just had a number for him. And I kept, I called him a bunch of times and he it was always answering machine. He finally picked up and I said, hi, I said, hi, Lucian, it's Ian, Ian back from Canada. And he said, are you the one that's been calling me and hanging up? And I said, yes, I've only got, I, I've only got one quarter. And he said, okay. He said, what do you need? And I said, you said you'd put me on stage. He said, yep, I'll put you on stage. And he gave me three spots that, that week. And, uh, it was mostly the check spots. Uh, and I went in and I just bombed my ass off, but he said, you know what? You're funny. I know you're funny. Uh, we'll just keep putting you on. So I ended up living in a youth hostel for three months. Wow. So for 14, for $14 a night and he kept putting me on stage and I was going on uh, these spots and I was following guys like Ray Romano, Chris Rock, uh, Dave Chappelle, these guys named Red Johnny and the round guy who killed harder than anything I've ever seen to this day like i'm talking people jumping out of their seats jumping on their seats when they go on stage they would just murder and uh you know i had no hope in hell of following them but i'd go on and and you know you just kind of built that skin and got funnier and one night uh lucian said hey i want you to go on right before this showcase for conan o'brien and I said, okay. So I just went on and I did my, my 12 minutes. I think it was seven minutes, 12 minutes. And afterwards they asked me if I wanted to be on Conan O'Brien. And I was like, yes, I do. But I have to be honest with you. I'm not illegal. I'm, I'm illegal. I'm working totally, you know, illegal. And they said, we'll help you get your green card. So, um, the people from, uh, from Conan O'Brien, and an, another agency that doesn't exist anymore helped me get a green card, not a green card, work papers for uh, called an O-1 visa. And, and it was like Frank Smiley, it was Frank Smiley and Paula from, uh, from Conan O'Brien. And they helped me out a ton. And they're basically the reason why I live in America and Lucian. And, uh, and it just kind of continued on from there. So I just kept going. And then one day while walking around in the snow in New York, I, I had just gotten back from L.A., and I said to a friend, I said, do I have to live in New York? And he said, no, you can actually live in L.A. And I was like, the weather in Los Angeles is so good, and I grew up in Canada. I'm leaving New York. So I came out to L.A. So when you left New York, <laughs> when Dead Sea got smart, I just moved back after 20 years in the, in the L.A. area. I moved back to New Jersey, but it's all right. Uh, I, I miss the snow. Um, when you When you left... New York, you, know, you had the Conan on your under your belt. Had you any had any other credits under your belt yet? Uh yeah, I had a bunch. I had like three Conans. I went to the uh, to uh, 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 I did some MTV stuff. I did um, um, I did all the festivals, Aspen, Montreal. Um, I did. Um, I think it was uh, at that time. There was uh, it was still. Like that, uh, like that Friday night video show. I think I did that. Um, I was starting to do, um, uh, you know, um, just other stupid, you know, Comedy Central shows, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. No, were you going on the road when you were in New York, or were you mostly concentrating on the city? No, I was concentrating more in the city. I like I go every so often, but I was working so much in the city, I didn't need to. That was what was great about it. It was the only difference. It was the only difference between LA and New York is I could pay the rent by being in New York. You know, I would just work there. I would, I remember, you know, doing eight shows in a night, and you know, just, just getting in, getting in cab and going to the next place and going back to the other place and then going back and back and forth. Uh, I remember going to Gaffigan's wedding and still doing, I think of four sets in one night. And uh, I remember Geraldo being mad at me because, He's like, it's Gaffigan's wedding. And I'm like, yeah, but I still have to pay rent. That's nice that he's getting married. But, you know, so I remember him being so pissed at me because I kept disappearing. He goes, where have you been going? And I was like, I said, I got spots. I said, I said, I got two spots at the cellar. And he goes, you fucking took spots tonight? I'm like, yeah. So 
So what was your act? Was, how was your act developing in New York? Because you're getting all that stage time. And, you know, it's, that's the funny thing is, and then you live in L.A. And you're a, you're a national headliner, international headliner. But, like, I always crack up about L.A. for this. Because, I mean, I got out of comedy, but I would occasionally do it in L.A. But when I was in Philly, our goal was you'd start off the two, the two clubs at the time. There's a comedy factory outlet and the comedy works. And you'd work on your act. And you'd get a job at the club because then you could get more stage time. Then you'd get in to start emceeing for people and then getting out on the road and getting paid work. And in New York, it seems like you can really develop your act because there we were getting stage time. Did you feel like your act was really developing? Because if you're doing six shows a night, sets a night, you must have been just getting so tight. Well, yeah, it was. It was. was, um, We used to compare. It used to be like when you're in New York, you were a prison body. You know, just, just. Just lifting, just lifting, just crazy lifting. No, and then when you were in LA, you were kind of you're streamlined, more of a runner's body. You're like, okay, I can do long distance because the sets were shorter in New York. But uh, you know, for showcasing, I've ne- I've never been as tight as I was when I lived in New York because I was just you know I could just pound out a 12 minute showcase set like just boom, boom, boom. I remember Esty uh, from from the cellar telling me once, she said, Ian. Uh, You've got to slow down. You're trying to get too much material in in 12 minutes. I remember her telling me that. And I'm like, oh, okay. She, she used to she used to laugh at me because she could tell when I was high. Because okay. I would get high every once in a while. And she said I, would, I was the only one that ever talked faster <laughs> when they would the smoke pot. So she said, she said, you've got too much information trying to get out of that hole. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you go to L.A., what is your focus when you go to L.A.? I mean, you know, you want to perform. You love stand-up. You want to get in the good weather. But is TV and acting on your mind at all? Or are you just really uh, just going there well, to do stand-up? No, I'm going out there, I'm going out there to do stand-up. I'm doing a little bit of TV. I was At the time, I was booking more commercials. And, I, I you know, some strikes came along. And, and honestly, that, that affected my commercial work more than, you know, anything. I remember, uh, you know... Uh, I remember how much I was going out before the strikes and, and it was just after the strikes, it was just never the same again. So I never really, even though I have a commercial agent and I go out every so often, I never, I never got back to where I was before, uh, 2002. Was that when the strike, do you remember that strike? Yeah, I think so. I don't know if it was a, I don't know if it was a writer's strike or which was the first one. One was a writer's strike and one was a SAG strike. Right. I know. So, I think. I think the first I one. The first one I think was a writer's strike. Okay, so that I I remember. I just it, it affected me. It, it affected you know. It affected huge, and I don't. Uh, it never never really went back to normal. But the same time, I never got into this business to be a commercial actor or even an actor. I got in it because I wanted to do stand up. Like when I'd watch stand up uh, stand ups as a kid. They would go on these TV shows in the afternoon or at night, and then they would be on game shows during the day. And I thought that's what I want to do there. I want to I want to make people laugh in stupid game shows, and I want to make them laugh, you know, sitting on the sitting on the couch talking to Johnny. And I want to make them laugh in the in like the clubs. I didn't the clubs I didn't really understand because I'd never been to a club, but I could see these shows that they would do on TV, uh, you know, the longer shows, and listen to their the albums and stuff. Now, now, when you got, so, to, I'm sorry, when you got to LA, what was it like being a New York comic coming to LA? Was it easy to get stage time, or was there sort of, you know? Uh, no, no, it was a, it was a struggle. I remember, I remember having to pay. I paid because I, because you know, I had, you know, basically, I had uh, the, I had a good run of the city. Like I was in almost every club, and the clubs I was in were giving me shows. You know, like that I could do eight shows on a Saturday night, or you know, so I had a really good. And then I got out here, and the improvs were, you know, they were a little bit, you know, they're standoffish in the Laugh Factory and the and the Comedy Store. I never really enjoyed going to, so I didn't put the effort into going there, even though I enjoy them now. Um, at the time, I just like, I was just like, nah, nah. So. Um, uh, you know, comedy magic club became a, a, a staple for me. Um, I and, and then getting on the road was really where you got your time in. And I I was doing a lot of bar shows around town that were basically open mics. And then one night I just 
I just didn't like being around the scene of that. I felt like it was dragging me down being around those people, and I just stopped doing them. So I didn't, you know, it was just, I was like, because at, at one point I felt any stage time was good stage time, and now I'm at, if it's not quality, there's no point. I'm not learning anything at, at this point in my career by going on in front of seven people and five of them didn't even know there was going to be stand-up. <laughs> right. You know? I met you, and this is no lie, because I, I said I did stand-up for a long time back east, and I got out of it, but I met you at a bar show, because I remember the guy who ran it, he's like, oh, this guy Ian Baggs coming in, he's really funny, and it was in Burbank, and it was a place called the Whiskey Bend, and this guy, Trevor... Is that where the shooting was? I, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think it is. I think it does. I went there I went there because the guy, Trevor Wilde, was the host. And he lived right around the corner from me in Burbank. And he said, just come down and do a set. And I remember I, you came in and he said, oh, we got to put this guy up. He's Ian Bag. And I wasn't familiar with the West Coast comics. And I, I mean, I was out of the business for a little while. But uh, you went up and you had a great set, even though it was, as you said, it's a it's a shitty bar. And you go in there and the people are playing that, pool. So if you're driving in from uh, like um, Studio City to get to the Whiskey Bend, and when you got over the uh, five or yeah the five, would you take a left? Like the uh, the the IKEA was on the right hand side, yeah. And, and yeah, and it's like right across from a Kmart. It's like it's like yeah, the Burbank there was, ghetto. There was a shooting there. Yeah, that was one. Of, that was one of the last shows that did this. This guy went off and started shooting. That's crazy. So, so now, how did you, how did you uh, parlay getting to go on the road? How did that start, and how did you move up the chain to become a headliner that you are? Um. Well, at the time, there was it was very little of the guys taking taking people on the road. You know, like now, a lot of guys will take their own openers. I take my own openers a lot, um, uh, but. You know, at the time, I was doing a couple headline places and featuring for a lot of guys. And and then and then uh, uh, John Panette used to take me um, with him every once in a while. And it just, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day. Somebody was complaining about uh, crowd work. They weren't. They, they don't want anybody that goes on before them doing crowd work because they can't follow it. And I told them, well, you're not a headliner. And they got <laughs> they got into a fight with me because they're like, no, and I'm like, no, man, no, man. When I first started out in Vancouver, had uh, you know, headlining, their their house feature spot was a was a uh, improv group that Ryan Styles came from, and you had to follow an improv group, and you would. <laughs> You would bomb so hard. You had to follow six people. <laughs> you know? So so you learned how to get funny. You yeah, it was tough. It was tough, but you learned how to get funny. And that's the way every headliner should be. You have to you have to figure out what's gone on before you and, and just switch the rhythm to your rhythm, you know. So I just anyways, when I started going on the road, uh guys hated following me, so um I just started getting kind of like the Wednesdays and Thursday, Wednesdays and Sunday kind of headline headlines, and then it just grew from there. Now it's so funny because they always say, and it's true, and I always thought this way that you know you don't take it easy for that on the headliner, which I think you what you're saying is because the only way you become a headliner oh. is if you slay that headliner. It's like in football, a right. guy a guy's not sitting there laying off on hits. I mean, I know when I would headline some of these shit gigs with some acts who aren't around anymore, and they'd be playing a harmonica and doing this crap that you're going, oh my God, how is this guy headlining? You'd turn up, you'd actually turn it up a notch because you were like, I want to blow yeah. this guy off the stage because I want to get to that spot. Absolutely. You should be throwing nothing but fastballs the whole time you're on stage as a, as an as a as a as a feature, you know, opening up for a guy. You should if a guy says to you, you're too funny, I can't follow you, or anyone is jealous of you because he can't follow you, you should take that as a badge, not a oh no. These these guys, there's so many guys that just take sandbags out there just to fill the time so and then they know it's not gonna hurt them at all, you know. I, I enjoy. I, there's a guy named Reggie Steele out of San Francisco that I use a lot because he he's the most likable guy you'll ever meet, and the, he's a good-looking guy, and the women fall for him, and he's a tough guy. So, so there's 
so the men want to be around him, and he's just really likable. So you have to fucking if you just if you just take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit, you're gonna bomb, you know. So I I like that. I like that kind of challenge. I like being a little, you know, some sort of feeling before I go on stage. I don't want to never have a feeling. Now now, as the years have gone on, how has your act developed? How have you developed as a stand-up mm-hmm. and your material? Mm-hmm. I started out always having a conversation with the audience, and it's just kind of grown from there. It's just, it's, it's kind of what I'm known for now, is talking to, having a conversation, and just a little bit of Jonathan Winters, a little bit of Sam, Sam Kinison, the, you know, the imagination, the imagination of Jonathan Winters and the irreverence of Sam Kinison. Now, how do you sit there with a crowd? Because, you know, you have a conversation, and that's great, but sometimes you get some crowds who are just not that conversative. How do you how do you adapt to that? I mean, because you've been doing it for a long time. You have to have tricks up your sleeve, but how I do only, you adapt? I only, I, only need a little, I only need a little bit. I just need a little bit from them. Because I'm, I'm going to make up the story. So I just need a little bit. Just give me a little bit, you know? So it's very little that I need. So, but, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's just... It just you just yeah have fun with it. Of course, I have material as well. But um, the the whole trick of stand up, not and it's not a trick. It, the whole purpose of stand up is to connect. And if you connect, you'll have that audience talk with you. You know. Now you've also traveled. I know you headlined in Australia and other places. What is it like? What do you see the difference in? The, the crowds and the comics overseas. Like I talked to Eddie Brill, and he told me in England, he goes, they don't want to, yeah. they don't, they don't want to hear about your 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 credits. They just want to bring you up on stage. You know, what what is your experiences overseas when you perform? Yeah, you just gotta be funny. You can uh, you can't really you can rely on American pop culture a little bit because everywhere in the world gets American pop culture, right? It's, you know, it's, they get our movies, they get they get our TV. So there's American pop culture everywhere. But if you learn a little bit about them, you can get them seeing what you see about them. I was just talking to a friend about South Africa because he's in South Africa right now, and I was there a couple years ago and uh, did a ton of shows, and I absolutely loved it uh, because it's they're so they, they have such a great sense of humor, but they're so curious about what you see. They want to see what you see about them. They want to know, and they're curious, and they're and they're they're smart. They're you know it's it's kind of a, a knowledge revolution over there. It's, apartheid hasn't been gone that long. Um, they went from you know Nelson Mandela to a complete crook running their country that has put them you know broke again. So they they're, they're such a, they're they're such a great they're just. It was just a great crowd. And I like Europe a lot, too. It's just a different, you know... I, I, when when people from Copenhagen have such a grasp on English and a great sense of humor, you, you get disappointed in, in North America. You're like, we're just so lazy. We eat fat, and we can barely get the nuances of that. You know, I mean, all over Europe, they have two languages... And they get the nuances of both sides. So, I don't know. So, you've traveled the world. I don't know. You traveled the world, and then, you know, a few years ago, you do Last Comic Standing. How did that come about? Uh-huh. And how, I mean, it's funny because people would watch Last Comic Standing, and I think in the beginning, they thought they were young, there were new acts, because I think Dot Fan won the first year. But, you know, Todd Glass was on, my friend Jimmy Schubert was on, you probably know Jim. You know, a lot of you, you heavy yeah, yeah. hitters were on there. How did you, was your management decide to tell you to do Last Comic Standing? Or how did that come about? Um, they've been asking me for a bunch of years to do it, and I never wanted to do it because it was a contest. I don't, I don't want to do a contest like at this, you know, it's, it's just I, my attitude was that's not how life works. You, you just you did you did your thing, and and if you put in the work, you know, you were you were uh, rewarded. Well, that's actually not how it works. Uh, <laughs> so I, my friend was uh, working on the show. She talked me into it uh, one year, and then I changed my mind. And then the next year, she talked me into it, and I just went and did it. And honestly, I had a lot of fun. I wish I had done a different season because it was a shorter season. I just liked, I liked the only time I was ever 
nervous about it was the first round where I was like, if I can't get through this first round, I don't know if I go back to being at the level I was at. If that makes sense? Yeah, because well, I'm sure you would feel a letdown because, you know, not saying you're... Well, just, yeah. You just can't get, if you can't get through this, it, and there's, you know, all sorts of, you know, openers and people that haven't done stand-up, and, and I was very quiet, and I just, I didn't make sure I didn't get any TV time because I didn't want to, if I didn't get through, I didn't want anybody to know that I was actually on the show. So, as soon, and as soon as I got through the first round, I just didn't give a shit. Because... It was just another show. It was just doing another show. And I think that just relaxed me enough. Uh, I don't know. I know they hated me. They, 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 I don't know what, what, what went on, but on the final episode, they disqualified me because they said the stuff that I did wasn't cleared by them, even though I'd sent it in and it was cleared by them. Um, I think somebody didn't understand one of the, I, I would put in really hardcore jokes to get the, um, on every set, because this, this is how lazy TV has become, by the way. When I first started doing uh, the late night shows, they would come and sit with you and watch you and write out what you did to, and hear the nuances and get what you did, right? And just to get the clearances from, you know, standards and practices and whatever, because also every television network wants to make sure you're not shitting on their uh, their their advertisers so 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 they'd come watch your shows and and write out your set and hear it and be able to explain what was going on whereas when i did last comic standing they're like can you just print out your set and send it in i don't know if you, if you if there's any comic out there that can just write out his set and still feel funny about himself afterwards <laughs> god bless them you know what i mean so so we'd have to do this before every show. We'd have to send it what we're saying. And I would send in jokes to make their eye go to that and be able to sneak something else in. So on the last episode, I, I, I sent some hardcore jokes and everything got through. And I was like, are you serious? They're going to let me do this? Okay. So I did it. And then they, and then they realized while I was saying it, what I was actually saying <laughs> they lost their mind. Now, how did uh, how did they disqualify you? What did they do? Did they, they stop the show, or what happened? No, I, at, at the end, they yelled at me, told me that I did stuff that wasn't cleared, and I said, "Yeah, I was. I got the email right there." And they said, "No, I wasn't." And I was like, "I got the email right there. If anybody wants to see it." And uh, and then they said that I that they just they didn't even have me in the in the you know the top three. So I was just like, "Okay," I was like, "Okay, I I get it." Now, who who won that so, year? But, uh, a guy named Clayton English, who's a really nice guy, really good guy. So good for him. Now after that, nothing came of it. Just n- nothing ever comes of it. You know, you just you do it. It's it's great. I enjoy I, I enjoy it because I did it. I did it because I was like maybe put my face in front of some people that don't watch late night shows or uh, you know uh, Showtime or, or stuff like that. So just put my put my humor in front of some NBC, you know, big three between eight and 10 PM. And it worked. I have people that come to shows to this day that tell me I should have still won. And, and that they see me on last comic standing and that's why they're there. So that's why, that's, that's why I did it was to, you know, make, make some new fans. I didn't ever do it to win it. Now, now you, you're creating your fan base. Now are, I know you, you post a lot on Facebook. Are you on Twitter a lot? I don't do Twitter. I do Instagram. Uh, I do two different, uh, the Facebook, I have a private one and I also have a public, like, uh, a, a, a public, um, Facebook now, on the private, the private one. I'm, I'm still kind of weaning through it and getting rid of people that I, that don't know me because it's private. And I want to be able to say what I say, think politically without having to fight every last Dick and Harry. And I don't, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's up to the people that want to come see me stand up wise do want to see how, how you can get how I feel by my humor, but I want you to laugh and I, that kind of stuff. If I'm going to bring it up, I need to, I, I need to be the one that makes you laugh at that. Whereas something on, on Facebook, I want to be able to say something serious. Well, I see you on Facebook. That's why I have a private one. I'm friends with your private one. I think we're, I, 
yeah. We're friends, and you do. I you, drive people nuts. You do a lot of political posts, and the funny thing is, like, I don't really post politically just because one of the reasons why is, and I and you probably go and you said it earlier, but it's just become such a pain in the ass that if you post something, even if it's a joke that's political, there's always someone who puts a comment, and the next thing you know, you're getting. 27 people arguing and you keep getting notifications and you're like, God, I'm just going to pull this post yeah, yeah. off because it's offending people. Do you, now is your act, is your act gravitating politically now? I mean, even though you do it privately on uh, Facebook or, or you, do you stay away from that? Because I, do, people... I do, I do some, some political stuff, but it's, it's, I do it. And if I'm going to do it, it's because I want to make both sides laugh. Even though it it can skew my political my political belief, it's got to make both sides laugh. That's the way I feel. Not everybody, my you know, humor isn't humor isn't built for a hundred percent. It's built for you know when you're hitting eighty, that's a hundred percent. You know, it's built for you. Even even the guys that you know that everybody shows up to see them it's still 90 percent is 100 percent. you know it's not it's it's you know that old thing not everybody's gonna like you that's comedy that is just comedy now so how, how do you think comedy's changed because you've been around for a long time and you've seen the hills and the valleys and you've toured the world how do you think comedy's changed and you and you think it's uh do you think it's getting softer now um i don't know if it's getting softer I think it's confused with um, in, uh, YouTube's kind of confused comedy. The guys that make the videos consider themselves comedians now, which is they're not. They're YouTube stars. They're not comedians. They're YouTube stars. And God bless them for making money off of however you can make money in show business. But the comedy clubs are putting these YouTube stars on, and they're horrible. They can't. They can't fill an hour. They can barely fill five minutes or three minutes, whatever their YouTube show is. You know. So, so what it does, it alienates people that love stand up when you put a YouTube star in a comedy club for the weekend. So there's there's this this kind of problem right now where where a comedy club doesn't know whether it's a four-wall venue where they don't have anything to do with what what goes on in the place and they just receive money or if they're a comedy club and they're trying to build comedy does that make sense yeah well you know it used to be i mean as you said it used to be just straight up comedy you go and you see stand up and that's what it was right and and now uh, now it's, I, when I started on when I started on Vancouver though they also had the improv group like they 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 made sure that that you know that they were trying to get people in they wanted to bring people in to see comedy but they made sure they were the, always the best of the best. Yeah, I mean it's a matter of the, the the clubs and the clubs knew how to run a club. They, I mean, like you know the clubs in Philadelphia back in the day and I, I know Helium's very good Ranwell Ran club too. They they always get okay. packed. They get packed. You know, I mean, it's a lot of it's paper though. But that's the problem now. Like back in the late eighties, early nineties, well, you didn't they, have the paper. They created everything. that problem themselves, though, right? The, the comedy clubs created the giving tickets away for no return, and and they know the people know that for the most part, if they wait, they will end up getting at the last moment a free ticket for right. paper. <laughs> So they created. They, I don't feel sorry for the comedy clubs in that. In that, that you know, you create you create your own bed that you have to sleep in, and they they created that themselves. No. So. Now, how do you think it's changed in regards to material? Do you feel that you can't say as much as you used to, or do, I mean, you do though, because you go on stage and you're headlining, and you know, you're not pissing people off, but. Do you worry about pissing anyone off anymore? Because it seems now it's like with people recording, yeah. you can get bitched. You can just get, and then people just jump on the bandwagon and try to smother somebody. I, I kind of, kind of, but no, no. You know what? I when I see people write about stand up, I'm like, hey, dude, you weren't there. You know, shut up, shut up. There's a judge and jury is right there. They're called the audience. The guy that's on stage will be judged immediately, and he'll either be they'll either give him a thumbs up or thumbs down. 
You don't need to be you don't need to be writing about it afterwards. You don't need to be blogging about it afterwards. You know, if it was funny, it was funny, and everybody laughed. If it wasn't funny, it just laid there or it got booze. You know, it's it, there's, there's there's no there's no afterthought. There's no there's no um, uh, you know slow motion replay after stand up. It's going on right then. It's happening. It's live in the moment. It's really one of the last live in the moment things. Now you still tour a lot, and you'll probably always tour because mm-hmm. you love it. Do you try to get any TV work at all, hosting work or anything like that, or are you just happy? Oh yeah. No, I, I go out for stuff. It's it's a necess, it's a, a necessary evil. Like there's it's still you know TV has still got a reach. That's you know that yeah the internet's great and. The internet's uh, nice and stuff, but the TV's got to reach. Facebook still advertises on TV. You know, they're on TV apologizing to everybody. TV is still, it's the ultimate. It is right there, and it'll always be right there, no matter how much the internet comes. It, it'll be, you know, it's, it's great. It's great, but, you know, kids watch TV on their phones, but they still watch TV. So It's crazy. Yeah, so- I want to I be on TV. Yeah, well, you should be. Now, now, now what, what are some of your favorite cities to play in Canada and the U.S.? What, what, where do you always look forward uh, to going to? Canada is Winnipeg, uh, Edmonton, Vancouver, and my hometown, Terrace, British Columbia. Um, um, around the world, I like Copenhagen. I like uh, Stockholm. I like, I like, um, I, I love Sydney. Uh, Perth is really good. Um, uh, uh, I had a great time in Dubai. Uh, London is one of my favorites. Um, uh, in America, I love I love Seattle. I love Phoenix. Um, Las Vegas is, I think, different because I think it's a world, world, world to itself, where it's just everybody from around the world, so you never know what you're going to get in there. Los Angeles is really fun to me. I love the uh, I love all the clubs. The clubs that are open in Los Angeles should be open, um, and they're all great. Um, New York is one of my favorites uh, of all time. I, I love it. Just love it there. I go back to Gotham once a year and have a great time. Um, Madison, Wisconsin is pretty good. Minneapolis is pretty good. Philadelphia is a lot of fun. I enjoy the the new punchline there. It's quite quite good. Um, what else? What else? What other ones? Uh, Florida's pretty good. I enjoy Florida, even though they're a bunch of tits. Yeah. Um, 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 you know, I, I love D.C. Washington, D.C. is a fun place to play. Um, you play yeah. everywhere. You play everywhere. Now, do, yeah. do you ever start to get... Nashville's fun? Nashville's a very cool city. My friend's in a band down, well, plays for a big musician down there, and I have to go down just to go out with him on the town, because it'll be cool. Do you ever get Nashville's t- one of those towns that that's just just it's it's so much construction going on right now there. It's just it's it, it's becoming it was a city before, but it's becoming a major city, and nobody's really noticing that it's building quicker than I think they can keep up. Right now, now do you ever get tired of being on the road? I mean, after a while, does it wear on you? Because you're not. I burn out every once in a while. And so, how do you how do you recharge? Uh, one or two weeks off, and then I'm just I'm ready to go again. I I've mean, been I've been doing uh, a lot of I've been doing at least uh, last five years. I've been forty six weeks, forty two to forty six weeks a year. Uh, this year, I don't think I'll do as many. I've taken some time off for personal reasons, but uh, you know, I'll probably do at least thirty five weeks this year. Cool. So, well, I want I want to thank you for coming on. I got to ask you though. Who 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 do you want? Who do you think is going to win the cup, and who do you want? That's funny. Uh, I well, does this air today? No, it'll it'll air it'll it'll air in uh, a little while. It'll air next week. Uh, okay, because because what I, the, the game is tonight between the Capitals and Tampa, and I can't I I honestly can't pick that the winner, but. Uh, I read about a guy that was uh, an analytics guy, and he's had the Capitals since the beginning of the year. So I don't know. I don't know. I just 
I don't know, man. There's some there's some sort of underlying thing that just keeps pushing Vegas through, you know? It's crazy. Because I had Winnipeg. I had Winnipeg going to the finals. I didn't have Winnipeg winning because I just feel like they need another, you know, it's just, they just, just, they're not quite there. But I don't know, man. Vegas might pull it off. I just, I can't, I can't. What let do you the, think? I, I, well, you know what? As I said, I hate the Capitals because I'm a lifelong Flyers fan. And, uh, you know, it's like liking Ovechkin is not as bad as liking Crosby. But, you know, because in Philly we oh, hate geez. both those guys. But they're both amazing yeah, yeah. players. Don't get, they're great. But, you know, I, once again, I have friends in Tampa Bay. Yeah, you're, you're allowed to respect them and hate them at the same time. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, you know, I have friends in Tampa Bay, you know, guy, like where I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. A lot of people moved to Florida already. And I would like to see Vegas, Tampa Bay. I, I would really like to see Vegas win because it's something that, you know, it's been a weird sports year. I mean, I, you know, I'm an Eagles fan. The Eagles finally won the Super Bowl. If the Eagles win the Super Bowl, if an expansion right. team wins the uh, Stanley Cup, and if in three weeks a horse wins the Triple Crown, it'll be one of the oddest sports years. And as a sports lover, you have to love that because it's just something that's completely diverse and different. I, no, I, I don't enjoy uh, the same guys going to the finals for repetitive years. I don't enjoy that. I, so I, either way, it's, it's, it's good. I'm glad Pittsburgh's out of it. And I'm, I like to see, I, I, I like to see, uh, you know, to change up. I, I like to see the guys, you know, I, I wish hockey was a little bit more like soccer where the bottom two teams got dropped into another league and then right. the other two guys came up. So you, you'd have to work harder. So, uh, but I don't know one way or another, the fact that Vegas is in it is Crazy. It's amazing, and it's great. It's I think I think it's good for the NHL, and that whole city's going to go nuts. Absolutely, they they have lifelong fans yeah, now. Absolutely. I mean, these little kids. Of yeah, course, it, these little kids are screwed because the first year they're watching it, they go to the Stanley Cup, and it's like, dude, it's not always like that. Calm down. I I guarantee you. I guarantee you, fifteen to eighteen years, you'll see a, bu- a bunch of names being drafted into the NHL that have uh, hometown Las Vegas. I guarantee that's what this. That's what this. That's what this year will do. I agree. Well, you know, Ian, I want to thank you for coming on. People, check out Ian Bag. You can go to his website, ianbagg.com. He's not on Twitter. Go on Facebook to his fan page. It's Ian Bag. Go see him on, you know, clips. Ian Bag Comedy. Ian, Ian Bag Comedy. And then, then people check out his, his website's great. You have a store there. You have videos. So people check him out. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. Yeah. I have over people. I have over 690 episodes. Email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. I'll get back to you. Also, Twitter, I'm at coopertalk. Instagram, it's at coopertalk1. And don't forget my other website, stopthesalt.com. When I had that health problem, which is about six years ago today, after I got out of the hospital, I wrote a cookbook. It's 120 low-sodium recipe, low sodium recipes. No pictures to intimidate you. No long list of ingredients. You can get it at Amazon.com. But if you get it from StopTheSalt.com, I'll sign it for you and I'll make more money. So people, check out IanBag.com. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next week.